Lots of talk about college football. Apparently the parents were watching college football last night, right? Alright, it's that time of the year again, right? Revving up. I was looking for some, uh, some Sunday football to record, and there was none, which was sad to me. But nonetheless, uh, it'll be coming soon. So, hey, turn with me this morning to Genesis, speaking of beginnings, Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to read seven verses here that I find to be very powerful. And that, you know, although I've read them many times, uh, I read them anew and afresh the other week when I was asked a question by my aunt. She had a question for me concerning, concerning this passage. And I began to dig and think. And I saw some things that, uh, that are pretty powerful to me. And so I wanted to share it. Uh, just a few of those along with, with what I believe God wants to say to us this morning. <clears throat> Notice here in Genesis 4, and we'll just start reading right there at verse 1. Right after the fall in 3. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. (coughs) And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Your word that is powerful. It's a two-edged sword, both piercing and healing all at the same time. Would you do that in us today? In our hearts? At the core of who we are, may we find you reigning there without rival. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been walking and fallen before? You know, just in the course of going through your life, just walking along, and you fell down. This happened yesterday as I watched somebody, and actually used this illustration yesterday at Outdoor Church. I saw somebody at the convenience store walking in, and they were just, you know, very competent to walk, and yet busted it on the way in. I mean, just flat out tripped over something. Did this number right here, you know? And then first thing they do, what do we do when we do that? You're, you're at work and all of a sudden, what do we do? You see that? I did, man, this is something rare, you know, right? But you know what? Oftentimes we look back, it was actually just us. You know? It wasn't anything at all that we can point to to blame. Because that's what we want to do, right? I remember being in middle school, you know, and, and I got one of those hall passes, right? You know, those are big time, but I don't know how they do it now, but we, we would get a hall pass to go tell a teacher something, you know, which was awesome because I got to get out of class, you know. So, man, I was speed walking, you know, and all of a sudden just laid completely out in the middle of this hallway at Brookhaven. And, I mean, I, I got up and I'm, I'm like, 
basically laughing because it was just me and nobody saw it. It was, it was me that tripped up. It was me that actually fell. And you know what? I think that speaks to us in our circumstance. We have fallen as humans. We've fallen. And we look back, we look around, we want to point the finger. If you read Genesis 3, I mean, as soon as they sin, they start pointing the finger. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's the serpent's fault. We look to something. Surely we tripped over something. And in fact, all we see is us. Because sin is not about your mom and dad. It's not about, oh, Adam and Eve. It's not about your context. It's about you. And until we recognize that, until we own that, that sin is not just a fault in the world or in others, but it actually operates and runs its line right through us. Until we recognize that, confess that, we'll never move forward. We'll continue to trip. We'll continue to stay broken down on the side of the road. You see, the fall was great. It was big. It was bad. And it all had to do with food. Isn't that fascinating? The wrong food from the wrong tree. As my professor used to say, it's not so much the apple in the tree, but the pear on the ground. That's where sin resides. Not in the P-E-A-R, but the P-A-I-R. The pear on the ground was really where the sin took place. Fruit's fruit. Food's food. But sin doesn't just reside in the world. It runs itself right through us. When we fell, it wasn't just a fall from the chair. It was a fall from the Empire State Building. We got really messed up. It's a deep, great fall. But I've got good news for you today. God is greater. The fall was great, but grace is greater. The fall was great, but the cross is greater. The fall was great, but Jesus is greater than the fall. He's greater than sin. He's greater than addiction. He's greater end of sentence. Now, the context here, you'll notice that as soon as we get, you know, drop down in this passage, uh, we see that Adam knew Eve. And that just wasn't this sort of, hi, how's it going? I know that person. No, no, no. This is an intimate knowledge because it produces a child. And so already we see marriage here of the husband and the wife that is intimate. And this intimacy brings about life. And this is God's design. This is God's design, not our design. We didn't make this up. And just as the trees produce after their kind, just as the animals produce after their kind, so too humans produce after their own kind. Even the sin that we fell into is reproduced into the brothers. Adam, uh, Cain and Abel. So the sin is passed to the family. We like to think and believe that sin is an individual act that messes with no one else. I'm not hurting anybody else by doing this. No one else is getting affected. That's baloney. It's not true. 
That's the lie of the enemy is that you can contain sin. Just a little bit of sin surely isn't hurting anyone. No more maybe than a little bit of cancer. No, we must not have any. We don't want any cancer. You know, the scripture says a very curious thing that some people just simply don't like. Well, it says a lot of things that people don't like, but this is one of those things. Matthew 1.21 says that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Notice, not in our sin, from our sin. He comes to redeem and to heal. Not just forgiving, but also sanctifying. Sanctifying the life within. Transforming. This is why resurrection life is necessary. The resurrection is not an afterthought in Christianity. It is ground zero. You must have resurrection life in your life. Resurrection meaning you died. And now you no longer live for yourself, but God. Christ living in me. You know, last week was a, was a, was a tough message. I was glad to have my wife as a, a support. She always is, uh, you know, people say you preached an audience of one, yes. But I'll, I kind of preach to two. My wife, I like to know what she thinks. And I like for her to be here. She's not here. So she has to listen to it later. But, you know, last week was tough. It's tough for me. It's tough for you. Because it was a sermon that was geared towards showing you some of the symptoms of sin. How it works itself out in practical day-to-day. In how we eat. and how we treat each other. And what we do with our money. What we do with our resources. What we do with our children. What we do at work. What we do by ourselves. Those are all the symptoms of something else. You know, when you start having symptoms, right? You want to know what's causing those symptoms. You don't want just to pop a couple Advils and just hope it goes away and reduces the pain because of medicine. You want to deal with what is causing that symptom. Like me, I went to a holiness conference when I was in college. And some of you know this story, but... At this conference, I was meeting all kind of you know people who I thought were awesome because they had written books and stuff like that, and I was getting autographed pictures taken. But I noticed that my face was not working properly, and that's a big deal. You know what I mean? Like maybe one finger, uh, we can deal with that. But your face, like that's pretty hardcore. So my face started shutting down. The left side of my face was not working. I would drink something, it drool out. I'd have to blink my eye because it wouldn't shut on its own. Uh, I noticed that I wasn't able to smile properly. Some crooked smile like Two-Face. And I had this moment where I knew things were really bad. My parents had been in a car accident. I'll never forget, I was on the phone. And they said those kind of famous words that you get when that happens is, We're okay, but... And I just, my world collapsed because... You know, I, I thought nothing could ever happen to them, you know. And, uh, and I was looking in a mirror at that point, and this side of my face was in so much anguish and anxiety and crying, weeping. And the other side of my face was looking at me like I was an idiot. So I cried about that too, you know. Um, I went in for my symptoms and realized it was this very rare disease, especially rare in young people uh, in college, 
uh, so rare that it was like, you know, one in a million and something, which I, you know, my mom always said I was one in a million, so I guess, I guess there you go. But, um, but they said, hey, this is a Ramsey Hunt syndrome, and uh, you've got shingles in your ear, which is, which is closing off the nerve that controls your face. And so they brought all the doctors in, took pictures of me, documented it, all this kind of, they're all looking at me like, hey guys, am I going to be all right? Like, is it... I don't want you just to document it. I don't, I, don't, I don't want... It's not enough just to know what's wrong with me now. I know that. But I want to know if I'm going to be back, made back right, right? I want my face back, really. I don't want to go through life like this. You know what? Sometimes in Christianity, we become a Christian. We understand the sin problem. We do nothing about it. We have, this, we have these symptoms all over the place. We're disasters in these certain areas of our life. Symptoms all over that there's a deeper problem within... And we just keep saying, well, you know, God, just, just forgive me. I don't really want you to deal with it. I don't want you to take it out. I don't want you to kill it. But instead, I just want you to forgive it. You know what Jesus is in the business of doing? Telling us, just like he told the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Now, I know what the enemy is telling you. Oh, you can't live a sinless life, this and that. Jesus says this, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I wouldn't tell Jesus that. You can tell me that. Don't tell Jesus that. Jesus died so that he can take away the sins of the world. Not keep them around and just continue forgiving them. Like some bad husband who just continues to beg for forgiveness as he goes and cheats on his wife. That's not what Christianity is offering. I don't know what you've heard, but he actually wants to extract the tooth, not just put some Novocaine on it. He doesn't want to just continue to give you medicine uh, to deal with the symptoms. He wants to get down to the root. And the root is sin. And notice what I'm saying. I'm not saying sins. Sins are the symptoms, the actions. But the nature is sin. The Scripture makes this distinction. Read Psalm 51 and you'll see this distinction with forgiveness, but also cleansing from within. The heart of the matter is our hearts are bad. And the only way to be transformed is to die to yourself. Just like a worm that crawls into a cocoon and emerges a butterfly, but not without a death. It no longer worms about, but flies. So too, God calls us to be transformed. Not continue to sit in our sin and ask for forgiveness, but to ask for forgiveness for the purpose of cleansing, for the purpose of sanctification. And maybe it will take your whole lifetime. But you know what? You must attain that goal of perfection. Just as Paul says in the New Testament, I've not reached it yet, but I'm still reaching forward to Christ. Amen. Don't stop. I often use the illustration of when you're driving a standard, you know, you might not get the gears right every time. Every once in a while, you may, you may do that, right? But are you, you just give up, throw your hands up, just forget it. I can't get it every time, so. No. You try for perfection every time. And the most important thing, even when we fail, is that we get up and never stop. Go to the one who is more than ready to forgive us 
and to heal us. He wants to bring healing to your life. He can bring healing to your life. There are people right here in this church who have been delivered from addictions that have taken some to hell itself. And God has delivered them. I was told a story by one just this past week. And I rejoiced with him because after five years of addiction, God delivered him. And he's been walking in it ever since. He's right here in this room. There's others of you that God has delivered from a selfish attitude. From an attitude that's all about me. The symptoms of which destroy other people's lives around us. And we don't know where it's coming from. It's coming from a root. That bad fruit has a root within our heart. And this is why Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. If you find in your own symptoms of your actions, you trying to put yourself before others constantly, trying to be seen by others, there's a root problem. If anger controls you, there's a root problem. Notice here, Cain, it's fascinating what happens. One is a keeper of the sheep. The other is a worker of the ground. So essentially, one's a shepherd, the other a farmer. They both bring offerings to God. Cain brings what we're told uh, is, 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 the, is the fruits of the ground. And Abel brings the sacrifice of an animal. And not only that, it gives a little more detail and says the fat portions. Which, if you remember from your Deuteronomy and the law, was actually what God wanted on the altar that would be burned up as a sweet-smelling aroma. And so this is pre-law, right? This is not like a graduate program, but it's pre-law in the sense of the law has not been given yet. And yet, they are offering sacrifice. Now, we're not... You know, people always wonder, why, why does Cain's offering not get accepted and Abel's does? Well, we're not explicitly told here. Maybe God was trying to teach them what to offer Him. I mean, this is at the beginning... After all, this is before the law has been revealed to Moses. The sacrificial system implemented. So maybe it was just, hey Cain, that's not what I'm looking for, buddy. But is Cain's response, I'm sorry, Lord. I'll sell my fruit to get a lamb so I can be in your will. Is that his attitude? No, not at all. We're not only told that God rejected or, as our text here says, had no regard for the offering of Cain, but also Cain himself. Did you catch that? It's something I missed in my reading of it over the years. Is Cain is re- not regarded along with his offering. In other words, God is not just concerned with what you can give Him. He's concerned with you. Amen. This is why later on, they're smoking through the sacrifices as the Babylonians breathe down their neck to burn the place down. I mean, they're killing animals left and right. God, look what we're doing for you, big guy. And God says, you make me want to throw up. Your sacrifices... Smell like puke to me. That's strong. That's strong. 
Ezekiel tells him that. Jeremiah tells him that. Why? Because it's not good enough just to offer the sacrifice. Your motive matters. Yes, yes, yes. The heart matters. You come to God with that same old sin-controlled heart offering sacrifices to no avail. This is why in Psalm 51, that psalm of contrition, David says, Oh Lord, you're not looking for sacrifices. I know that. Or else I would give them. But instead, you're looking for a broken and contrite heart. Broken and repentive heart. That's the one you won't deny. You see, this isn't magic. God's not bound to what we do. He's outside of that. We can't do anything to twist His arm. To add to the pot. To sweeten the deal. That's how we work with each other. It is not how we work with God. You cannot make God do anything. And yet, and yet, He freely gives of Himself. And yet, He's the first responder. Not us. Not ever. He's the one coming from the outside in. This is why the Scripture pictures God only and always in male terminology. In masculine images. Because He is not on the receiving end. We are. We are. We receive His grace. Are we not the bride of Christ? Do you not see how our culture is trying to take that image of God and flip it on its head? Demonically. Must not be. God forbid we mess with His image. Because His image is right here in this room. While we're busy making our idols and worshiping them, God has already built His idol of Himself. Built His image right here. Male and female, He created them in His image after His likeness. Now we've fallen far, but grace is greater. Grace is greater. Jesus is greater. I know that victory myself in how He changed my own heart. I know that victory because in this room we can go around the room and I could handpick people for you that would tell you powerful testimonies that when they gave up their sin, when they died to their self, God transformed them. Amen. They were no longer a worm, but a butterfly. We were meant for wings. Not just to crawl around like the serpent. He wants to keep us down on the ground. Not looking up. We were made for the sky. We as humans hang between dust and divinity. He's made us unique. He did that. Not us. We're not in control of that. We can't vote it out or vote it in. That's His doing. You can't have it your way and Yahweh. 
And so, Cain's motive comes to fruition in getting angry. Notice, some, some translations say, his countenance fell. This one says, his face fell. Have you ever seen that on somebody before? Yeah. Oh, I have. Kids, almost every day. <laughs> Can I have my 374th cookie? No. Hmm. What do you want me to do? Hook you up to a machine where you're just getting sugar the whole time? <laughs> Baylor in particular. The other day, um, Ty, you may saw that he had to be removed. Um, sorry, Tammy. Uh, but he had to be removed because he's been, he's been pushing us, right? And one of his things he did the other day, he said, and Baylor said, Daddy, that's what I used to do. I said, oh, I know, son. You don't have to remind me. I, I know. I know. His, I mean, you tell Frank something, Baylor. He, I mean, he would just lock up. <laughs> and God has no regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain says, <laughs> you know what I'll do? We think animal sacrifices is good. I'm going to kill my brother. Oh, there's blood spilled. With sin... There will always be blood spill. The long-running object lesson in the Old Testament is thousands upon thousands of lives taken at the hands of the priests. Slit the throat, let the blood drain out as the family, as the family notice, has their hands on that animal and feels that animal die. The scripture says the life is in the blood. You say that's super barbaric. You know what's super barbaric is your sin. Amen. Amen. God used animals to illustrate for us in real time what our sin does to people. It takes the life out of people. Notice God's words to Cain. Why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, notice this. Sin, not sins, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Some of us are harboring spiritual cancer. And God says, I can take that from you. I'm going to cut it out. There's no way it can exist with you. We've seen what cancer does to a body. It's awful. Different diseases due to a body. Sin is a disease and it spreads. You cannot contain it. You thought it was just dabbling in this and then you lose your family. You thought it was dabbling in this and you lost your job. You thought it was dabbling in this and you've broken people's hearts. You've made their countenance fall. I have. There's blood on my hands because of the way I treated people. And I regret that. It's shameful. But thanks be to God, He has wiped my slate clean. He 
He's cast my sins as far as the east is from the west, put them in the deepest ocean where no submarine can reach them, and he chooses, the God who knows everything, chooses to forget them. He says to us, I can forgive you and I'm not going to bring it up again. How many of us can do that in our marriage, huh? In our friendships. Never, I'm going to never bring this up again. Wow, God says, I will do that. You may not be able to do that. I can do that. I can do that. I'm not going to hold it over your head. So what is... What do you and your offering look like? We know we're... Unfortunately, Cain gets the privilege of being on display for everyone. You're not. I never want to make it into the Bible, you know what I mean? Too many many people read the Bible, you know? There's too many publications of that everywhere. Thankfully, you're in your little world here, and some people know what you've done and who you are and all that, but this is where it comes down to who are you and what is your offering to God? Are you offering the cheap stuff? Are you offering Him the good stuff with bad motives? With a bad heart? Is sin, like it was for Cain, crouching at that door that when you step out of this holy place today, it's going to pounce on you? You know what the good news is? Keep reading. His desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You know what? That's a command. And with God's commands come promises. You can. God is not on our back like we're some dumb donkey with a carrot out here leading us along, laughing at us because we can't ever reach it. That's how people picture God. They think He's called us to things that we can never do. I'm here to tell you. Jesus died not just to forgive you, but to take away this cancerous, disease, heart, self-centeredness that we have. He can do that. He can transfer, but it's going to take a death. It's going to take a death. There's no way to have resurrection life without a death. And all of those animal sacrifices pointed to one sacrifice, and that was the God of the universe. You think it's barbaric to kill an animal? What about God? What about God? He allowed us in Jesus Christ to kill Him. I say us because I helped with that. The line runs right through here. Blood's on my hands. I was yelling. I've yelled before, crucify Him. I don't want anything to do with you, God. I would rather do it my way. When we say that, we spit in His face. We trample on the blood of Jesus Christ. We must not. We must not. That sacrifice is forever. It's done. And it was done for you. So that when you lay your life down, just like a seed falling in the ground, no longer springs up a seed, but instead a huge tree. So too He wants to do in your life. Forgive me for this, but... Do you remember Gandalf? (laughs) What happens to him as he fights the Balrog? That demonic figure in the mountain. And it whips him up, trips him up, 
and he falls. And it, what we find out later is he actually falls battling that Balrog. And he defeats him. He slays him upon the mountain, you know, real eloquently. But you know what? He comes back, not Gandalf the Grey, but Gandalf the White. Not only that, one of my favorite movie sets, The Matrix, Neo, before he's truly transformed, has to do what? He has to die. He can't be who he needs to be without resurrection life. What about Harry Potter? Doesn't he have to die before he can defeat Voldemort? What he finds in that heavenly place, I love the image. They're walking along and there's all of a sudden this little nasty gremlin looking Voldemort under the chair. And he says, what is that? Harry, that was in you. I thought to myself, wow. She's picking up on something as the author that God is trying to tell us in the story. And that is, we and the evil one are connected at the hip. And the only way to disconnect ourselves is to die to ourselves. Yes. And when we do, that old self, the scripture says, will be laid down under a chair, tucked away, and we will be made new. And we'll find new power, just as he did, to defeat the enemy. This is what Jesus is offering. These authors and many more, I have tons right here, I could keep going. These authors are picking up on something that's a principle of life, and that is resurrection life. That is that sin is great, but God is greater. Sin is great, but grace is greater. Sin is great, and there's a cross between you and resurrection life. Jesus says this, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, did he take his cross and put it on his neck and go hang out at a grocery store? No. He took it to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he died. And he resurrected. He's offering us the difference between being a worm and a butterfly. He wants to make something beautiful out of our life. Don't just crawl around. Don't be like the serpent. Don't let sin pounce on you leaving this door. But instead, receive his sacrifice for you today. He did this, not me. He did what we could not do. And now we, as his bride, receive what he gives at his table. So this morning, will you receive God into your heart and let him reign there? Maybe he's forgiven you of your sin. You have the Spirit. Now be filled with the Spirit. Now, notice, master over it. Only by the Spirit can you do that. Yes. Only by the Spirit can you do that. So be filled with the Spirit this morning. By believing in Jesus. Amen.